Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I want to do a Bible study and the reason why is this. There are different ways we communicate as preachers. You can preach, and by preaching, you know, you are loud, you're spontaneous. You use preaching to emphasize your, your fast in your pace and all of that. The Bible says, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice, if any man thirst. So that's preaching. Hallelujah. The gospel is preached to sinners and taught to believers. You've heard me say that before, right? You see, when you come to Christ, you might be born again, but then you need the details. You need the details. You need to understand the deeper and better what you've come into. And so Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. He says that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. To know the hope of his calling. Yes, you've been called. But what hope have you inherited? He says, and the riches of the glory of your inheritance, in, of his inheritance in the saints, the exceeding greatness of his power, us what who believe. He says, you need to understand the kind of power that got you saved, how great it is. So thank God you're saved. I want you to have revelation. Revelation. And so you see, every local assembly must have a cyclical teaching curriculum and this is what i mean the teaching curriculum must be in such a way that no matter how deep you go you must find a way to come back to the beginning to the basics and re-emphasize Do you understand what i'm saying because the church is not like a normal classroom you know some people you attended the same school from nursery nursery to primary six right how many of you have attended the same primary school? I just wanted to see. All right. So now, very likely you have the same classmates. The same classmates. So you were taught something. You were promoted. You were taught some more. You were promoted. The church is not like that. The church is not like that. We might have been teaching. If you've been following this ministry, there's a lot you, you have learned. But then we're still receiving new members. And so we must find a way to be cyclical in our teaching. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go back to the basics. Also, even you who thinks you know it already. You see, spirituality is not just about knowing. The word of God is for doing. You don't just say, I, I know it. That knowledge is meant to stir your spirit. So you are meant to be established in what you know to be grounded in it do you see that let me show you something that Peter said turn your Bible second Peter chapter 1 verse 12 second Peter chapter 1 verse 12 hallelujah Are you there? 
Come on, I said, are you there? Read together. One, two, go. Listen, he says, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance. Can I tell you something? It is negligence not to remind the people you are teaching of the things they already know. That's the Bible way. The gospel is not only important for your salvation. You are saved by the gospel. You are preserved by the gospel. The gospel will forever be the basis of your relationship with God. And so if you're not careful, you will forget. You have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You've heard me say that. Otherwise, you'll forget. You will start acting as if it's your responsibility to keep your salvation. If you're here and you've forgotten before, raise your hand. All right, just few hands, right? Some of us, some of us are so deep, you never forget. Praise the name of Jesus. But sometimes you're stressing. You know, I think it was in school. I was praying one day and I was just complaining, God, you know. <sighs> no, I pray, but I'm not praying enough. You know, I study, but I'm not studying enough. And all of that. And God said, what were you doing when I died for you? I mean, think about that. What were you doing? What did you do? So when we're talking about salvation, you must see and respect and appreciate the proactiveness of God and the sovereignty of God. May you never lose the wonder. Sell out, amen. May you never hear about what Christ has done and say, I've heard that before. Sell out, amen. Amen. So today, we're going to be very, very elementary, as elementary as I can be. Just so that you can get it. Let me tell you this. I think it was last month or two months ago, we were done with service, and I was stepping out. I saw a lady at the passage. And I said, hello, how are you doing? And she said, I'm fine. I recognized that I hadn't seen her face before. So I said, I hope you had a great service. You know, and you know, in my mind, in my mind, I'm just praising myself. I'm like the best pastor in the world, duh. You know, so if I'm asking you, I'm just being, you know, for formality. I hope you had a great service, you know. And the shock of my life. <laughs> she said, uh. <laughs> I said, what happened? <laughs> and then she, she said, actually, um, she, she grew up in a Catholic background, and I know there are good Catholic churches, but somehow she never really understood the gospel. She traveled out to a country that doesn't really, you know, emphasize spirituality or religion is not as popular, and that worsened the matter. So she, she says she doesn't really understand the gospel. And in that particular service, we're, we're talking deep things. Do you understand? I'm just saying this so that you understand the need to come back to the elementary stuff once in a while. And so she didn't really get it. So she said, okay, why did Jesus die? So I sat with her, and we began to talk. And she, she was glad. I gave her a free copy of the book and all of that. So you see, not everybody who comes in here understands all the things that you understand. 
Praise the name of Jesus. So this month, we're going to start from the very beginning. I want to challenge you to put aside all that you think you know. And let's just get into the word of God. And see what God has done in Christ Jesus. Say loud, Amen. So today we're going to start with a small Bible study. We're going to study some portions in the book of Ephesians. All right, thank you. So, turn your Bibles now. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me start with Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4. Are you there? Please read together Ephesians 3, verse 4. 1, 2, go. Please read it again. 1, 2, go. And now, I don't know about you, but seeing this years ago blessed me. He says, whereby when you read, Paul is telling you why he wrote the book of Ephesians. He says, I wrote it so that when you read, you will understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. So he wrote it for me to understand. Hallelujah. So the Bible is not difficult to be understood. The person who wrote it was not trying to be deep. He was writing it so that I can understand. And so I can understand. Say I can understand. Hallelujah. So when we're we're trying to study salvation, maybe Ephesians is a good place to start because he told you categorically that he set out to write that book so that the people who read will understand. Say loud, amen. Amen. And so when you read the book of Ephesians, From my personal study, one thing that you will see that will stand out about the book grammatically is that it's it's a book of adjectives. It's a book of adjectives. In English, we are taught that adjectives are identifiers. Adjectives are describers. For instance, if I say, if someone steps into this hall and says, I'm looking for a guy. I'm going to be like, well, there are a lot of guys here, I'm sure. And then he says, oh, I'm looking for a tall guy. Now he's clearer. Some people will sit down immediately. <laughs> All right. And then he says, a tall, <laughs> let me look for your trouble. A tall, handsome guy. Uh-huh. The set is smaller now. <laughs> so... So people are like, okay, is Adair looking for Pastor Emmanuel? I'm playing. I'm not that tall. I'm not tall at all. I'm just playing with you. All right. But that's what adjectives are. They are identifiers. Identifiers. They're describers. They shed more light. If you say my grandmother, okay. But you say my wife's grandmother. Now that's an identifier. That's a describer. So now we know more about your grandmother Because of that adjective, wise. And so Paul, in the bit to explain better the message of salvation, he throws adjectives around. 
in the book of Ephesians. There are so many adjectives there. Let me give you one simple example. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Maybe you never paid attention to it. But there are so many adjectives sometimes I wonder uh, why. Like, it's too much. But he went to that extent just so that you would get it. Are you in Ephesians 3.20? Read together one to go. You see that? Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above. No. He could have just said, now unto him who is able to do above all that you can ask or think. Or now, at best you can say, now unto him who is able to do abundantly above. But when you say exceeding abundantly above, you, you want, do you understand? You are using those adjectives to let you know that it is far, 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 far. You, you get that? So he's using adjectives to explain. To explain. So when you read the book of Ephesians, you're going to see many adjectives just so that you get the point. For instance, the book of Romans, in, by comparison, has 16 chapters. Ephesians has just 6. But in the book of Romans, the word rich was used 6 times, rich and riches, together. In the book of, sorry, Romans 5 times, Ephesians 6 times. So if that word was used more in the book of Ephesians that has just 6 chapters, you reckon it's a book of adjectives right let me just give you a few examples in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 it says in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace can you say the riches of his grace now that's a qualifier an identifier his grace is rich glory to God you come to verse 18 the same chapter 1 it says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The riches of the glory of his inheritance. So we have an inheritance. And it is rich and glorious. That's a describer. You come to verse 7 of chapter 2. Verse 7 of chapter 2. That in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness. Adjectives. So many. The exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You come to chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. Can you say unsearchable riches? You come to verse 16 of chapter 3. Verse 16 of chapter 3. It says that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. It says according to the riches of his glory. Why does he use riches? To let you know that the gospel or the, or the salvation that is in Christ Jesus is valuable. Because anything that is expensive is valuable, isn't it? It is valuable and it is lavish. So he just uses that to explain to you. Praise the Lord. So we are going to study some verses and pay attention to the adjectives. But everything that we are going to see will point to one thing. The salvation that is in Christ Jesus has an enormous advantage. 
enormous. And when you think about it, only one thing will come to your mind. The benevolence of God. He's lavish. He loves hard. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, some of you who have been hearing this or things like this, some of you still don't get it. You still don't get it. Because if you got it, it will change the way you relate with God. It will change. Hallelujah. God loves hard. So, 99% of my work with him will be about receiving and appropriating what he has freely given. I'm not going to try to fight to get him to love me. I'm not going to fight to get him to accept me. I'm accepted in the beloved. He loved me and he washed me from my sins with his own blood. I, I mean, hallelujah. So, so my devotion is about showing off to the world his love. That's my preoccupation. What if you were so settled in the love of God that you were more concerned about projecting that love to others? Some of you are still insecure in your relationship with God. And that's because you've not studied properly. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll do a commentary from verse 4 to verse 10. Not an exhaustive commentary, but just something fair enough for you to get the point. It says, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love where he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. He says, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everybody read from verse 7 to 10, together one to go. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Hallelujah. It says, God, who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. He's rich in mercy and great in love. Say, so God is rich in mercy and great in love. Hallelujah. And you see another word that he repeats so many times is grace. The riches of his grace. And we want to take this service to understand what that is. The theme of this service is this is grace. This is grace. So what is grace? What does it mean when the Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith? What, what does the Bible mean? What does the Bible mean? Hallelujah. When the Bible talks about salvation being by grace, you know, it says for for by grace are ye saved, right? When the Bible says we are saved by grace, there are four things that are being referred to. Are you ready to take notes? Grace defines the simplicity of the requirement of salvation. Grace defines the simplicity of the requirement of salvation. 
Hallelujah. Number two, grace defines the inadequacy of the beneficiaries of salvation. Just to be sure you're following, what's number one? What's number two? Number three, grace defines or describes the disqualification of the self-righteous. The disqualification of the self-righteous. And number four, it describes the magnitude of God's favor. The magnitude of God's favor. So I'm going to start with the first one, and I'm going to move as fast as I can. The simplicity of the requirements of salvation is the grace of God. The simplicity of the requirement of salvation. Can I tell you this? What will you give to live forever? What will you give? If they told you that if you don't raise 10 million naira in your lifetime to pay for eternal life, you know there are some silly cultures that believe that. There's a reason why a lot of Egyptians, I don't know if they still do that, were buried with a lot of possessions because they believed that at the gate to eternity, you will buy your way with gold. So they will weigh your gold against your sins. And if your gold weighs more, very silly, right? You're going to go, you know, have eternal life. Imagine you had to pay. How much would be too much to live forever? Imagine if you had to lose an arm or two or your legs to live forever. It will still be worth it. So now you tell me that there is such a thing as eternal life. And I'm like, oh my God, tell me what I need to do. Just name it. And they say, actually, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe in your heart the Lord Jesus. Confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. You're like, is that it? Praise the name of Jesus. So Cornelius was sharing the gospel for the first time. As he was, as Peter was preaching, the moment Cornelius and his household understood, the Bible says, as Peter was still speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard. Because all Cornelius needed to do was to hear and believe. And that's the grace of God, the simplicity of the requirement. All I have to do is believe. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. We're going to read just the first part of it. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Hallelujah. Read the first part together. One, two, go. Hold on. Read it again. One, two, go. It says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Hallelujah. So, if all I have to do to be saved is have faith in what Christ has done, that's grace. That's the kindness of God. Is that simple? 
Oh, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you serious? Do you really mean that? Okay. I believe. That's it. Hallelujah. The message of salvation is called grace because of the simplicity of its requirement. Look, you know, we read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Right? Now, when a sentence starts with for, he tells you that he made a point before. Is that simple enough? In fact, any verse that starts with a word like for, you can't understand it until you read the verses before. So to understand verse 8, you have to read verse 7. And probably the verses that come before it. And so, what does verse 7 say? Popular text in this church. Everybody read it loud as you can. One, two, go. Hallelujah. So, he says, God has ordained for his salvation in Christ to be the everlasting demonstration of his kindness. That people will just reason it and say, oh, that's kind. That's so kind. That's so kind. So, why is salvation the biggest demonstration of God's kindness? It says, because by grace are we saved through faith. So the mere fact that all we had to do to be saved was to believe has become the biggest demonstration, the biggest proof of God's kindness to the world. Say loud, amen. So when the Bible tells you in John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, let me ask you this. When he says he gave his only begotten son, what do you think he's talking about? Look at verse 15. Let's see verse 15. Um, verse 14, I beg your pardon. Verse 14. All right. Read John three fourteen together. One, two, go. Hold on. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. When he says be lifted up, what do you think he's talking about? His crucifixion. You know some people say, lift Jesus higher. Lift him up for the world to see. And then they quote, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now you can lift him in praise, proclaim his name. But if you are quoting, he said, if I be lifted up. When he, he said, if I be lifted up, he was talking about his crucifixion. And that his crucifixion will reconcile men unto God. That's what he's saying. So if you are singing that and saying, if he said, if I be lifted up, you are saying, let's kill Jesus again. As if it were possible. But now he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted. Be lifted up. Verse 15 
He says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. So what does gave mean? Gave to die. So how is the death of Jesus the demonstration of the love of God? Well, because by that death now, whosoever believes will not perish. Now that's love. It's that simple. So now, I've done a lot of terrible things in my life. How can I restitute? What can I do? You know, some people are so overwhelmed with guilt that they will not let God take their guilt. They try so hard to pay for themselves. Okay, so Jesus had disciples. There was Peter and there was Judas. Peter denied Jesus. That's more terrible. (laughs) You have to understand. That's more terrible because it is the proclamation of Christ and your relationship with him that gets you saved. Judas, what he did, as big as an error it was, ended up fulfilling prophecy and birthing salvation for him. But Judas was overwhelmed with guilt. He couldn't take it. Now he must repent. He must restitute. And repentance is very important, but I'm going to talk about it. A lot of people get it wrong. What Judas Judas did was repentance. He took the money. He threw it back at the Pharisees. He said, take your money. I don't want And they said, no, we're not taking it back. Overwhelmed with guilt, he went, bought a land and hung himself on it. He was so overwhelmed with guilt that he he shielded that guilt from God. He wouldn't let God take it from him. He took his own life. He repented, but he was not saved. Are you getting it? Peter's repentance was not even radical. He didn't even restitute. He didn't go back to those ladies, those people, those three people later to say, you know what, I lied though. I actually know him. He didn't say that. He just moved on. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And the person who did what is called restitution was not saved. Think about that. All Judas needed to do was to say, I believe in you. Hallelujah. You died for my sins, including my betraying you to die. That's all you needed to do. Hallelujah. Look at Romans chapter 10. Say thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 10. Verse 6. Thank you, Lord. It says, But the righteousness of faith, the salvation by faith, speaks in this wise. It says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead? But what does he say? It says, the word is nigh you. In your mouth 
and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. He says, oh my goodness. A lot of people have done a lot of incredible things to be saved. Incredible. But he says salvation is very simple. It's near you. <laughs> salvation is near you. It's close to your mouth. It's close to your heart. It's knocking on the door of your heart. And what does he say next? He says in verse 9, that if you shall confess, everybody verse 9 together want to go, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be what? It's simple. That's what he's trying to tell you. It's near you. Meaning it's simple, it's not difficult. Hallelujah. The simplicity of the requirements of salvation highlights the grace of God. It says near you. You don't, you don't have to climb to heaven to ask Jesus to bring him down. You don't have to go to the grave to bring him up again as if he's there. He says, it's near you. Near your mouth. Near your heart. That's the word of faith we preach. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He says, for with the heart man believeth unto salvation. With the mouth confession is made. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Sell out, amen. amen. It's simple. Aren't you glad? glad. What won't you have given to have what you have <laughs> what would you have done but nothing you could have done would have been enough and so he just gives you and you're like thank you sir <laughs> i'm very grateful say loud amen number two just to be sure you're following what's number two Grace defines the inadequacy of the beneficiaries of salvation. And the Bible uses Abraham as an example. Look at Romans chapter 4 from verse 1 to 5. Romans chapter 4 from verse 1 to 5. Hallelujah. It says what... Then shall we say that Abraham our father had found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abra Everybody, what does the scripture say? What did it say next? One to go. Abraham believed God and it was what? Say that again. One to go. Now, now, look at what he says next. It says, now to him who walks, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. He says, but to him who does not walk, <laughs> but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Can I tell you this? It is not irresponsibility. Not to work for righteousness. It is faith. 
Did you see that? It says, he that does not walk, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith, he called it faith. Not irresponsibility, but faith. To walk for righteousness is pride, not holiness. It's pride. Hallelujah. We live holy and moral lives because God has changed our hearts. We live holy and moral lives because we are citizens of heaven, not so that we can be citizens of heaven. This is so important. So he says, he that does not walk, hallelujah. He that does not walk, meaning so he doesn't qualify for it. He didn't earn it. He that does not walk, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly. Okay, so God, you have a description of God here. Who is God? God justifies the ungodly. Say that one to go. Hallelujah. So, just because of my faith, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. because I believe on him, I'm justified. I've placed my faith on he who justifies the ungodly. So, I'm not qualified, but because I believe, he qualified me. So, grace highlights the inadequacy of the beneficiaries. If you understand salvation well enough, you will realize that in heaven, nobody there will be able to say, I'm here because I did this, I did that, I did this. It's all going to be God. His praise, His power that got you there. Hallelujah. It says, He that walks. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to take my time so that you get this. It says, to him who walks, the wages are not counted as grace. So it is not grace if you deserve it. It is not grace if you deserve it. Hallelujah. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. No one will make heaven who deserves to make heaven. No one. Because salvation is by grace. Hell is for qualified people. Hallelujah. But he says we are saved by grace through faith. You, you have to get this. And he says, it will cease to be grace if you qualify. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, I'm so happy because I don't qualify. You know, I'm so, like God, <laughs> thank you, sir. So, it's me. It's me you're talking about. Hallelujah. I'm number one. Hallelujah. Is Oh, everybody, I want you to read that again. Everybody, Read from verse, go back, go back, go back to Romans chapter 4, right? Verse 3. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Ha, ha, ha. And what was the result? 
Verse 4. Everybody read together. One to go. Hallelujah. Need I explain that? Listen. At the end of the month, your boss pays you your salary. You may or may not say thank you. If you say thank you, you are being polite. Hallelujah. Whether you say thank you or not, he must pay you because you worked. Hallelujah. So your salary is not grace because you worked for it. It is grace when he said you are entitled to 20,000 naira remuneration. And then at the end of the month, he gives you 200. 200,000, not naira. 200 naira, not 200 naira. 200,000 naira, okay? Now that's grace. Because you did, that wasn't part of the agreement. Are you getting this? It says, but to him who walks not, but believes on him. So there is such a person who doesn't reckon righteousness to be something to work for. Hallelujah. All I have to do to be righteous is to believe in God. Because God justifies, qualifies the ungodly who believes. And God says, okay, you believe in Jesus, you believe he died for you. Well, then you are free from sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. If someone paid for you, you are free. Praise the name of Jesus. That's salvation. So grace highlights the inadequacy of the beneficiary. Smile to the person by your side and say, that's me, that's me. Hallelujah. Smile to another person say, that's me, that's me, that's me. Now, what's number three? It highlights the disqualification of the self-righteous. You know, Jesus gave a parable. He said two men went to the temple. One, a Pharisee, the other, a publican. And the Pharisee, you know, he's, he's that kind of guy everybody thinks will surely make heaven. He fasts twice a week. He always pays his tithe. And so he's there in the temple. You know, and he's just like... <laughs> he prays like this. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this unrighteous publican. I give alms. I don't fail in my tithing. I fast twice a week. The other guy, the publican, the Bible says he was not even bold enough to lift his head to heaven. So he bowed his head down, smote his chest, and said, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. The Bible says that the publican left justified rather than, rather than the Pharisee. You have to understand this. Grace doesn't only highlight the inadequacies of the beneficiary. It also shows you the disqualification of the self-righteous. Because now, God has said, you don't qualify. And because you don't qualify, I'm going to take your place, die your death. If you try to qualify on your own, that's pride. If you try to qualify on your own, you make him a liar. If he says you need salvation, you say I can save myself, you make him a liar. 
Praise the Lord. So, the guy who relies on grace is not more justified than the other guy. The other guy who tries to walk is not justified at all. You have to understand that. Let me say it again. What a lot of people call holiness, which by the way is good, alright? But what a lot of people call it is actually pride. They want to prove a point to God. Do you understand? When you're praying, now you say, oh, that guy was extreme. Why will you say I'm not like these other people? But are you sure you're not like that? Are you sure you're not like that? When you're praying to God, what makes you confident? Ask yourself, well, ask yourself, well, what is your confidence before God? You see, these are some of the things you might, you might hear time and time again and never practice. But have you really come to a point where your stand before God in your mind and in your soul is not based on your works? How confident are you when you have not really been measuring up? Praise the name of Jesus. If you start dodging, if you are embarrassed, you are shy, when you feel you have not done well, it tells you your devotion has been sinful and full of pride. So in those moments, you ought to be able to say, you say, God, it has never really been about this stuff. Never. It's always been about you. And listen, because, because of my faith in Jesus, I cannot go on in sin. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I cannot go on in sin. But it is not my works that makes me accepted before him. No. He sovereignly chose to be kind to me for eternity in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.7 That's his sovereign choice. So it's either I believe it or I don't. Hallelujah! I've told you before. When it comes to the story of the prodigal son, the point of the story was not actually the person we call the prodigal son. The point of the story was the older brother. Don't forget how the story all started. They saw Jesus dining with sinners. And the Pharisees said, "Ah, look at the people you are rolling with. And Jesus said, there is much joy in heaven over one sinner that repented than over 99 who need no repentance. Now, generally speaking, is there any Jew who needs no repentance? No. So he said that just, all right, figure of speech, just to spite them that, okay, well, you're not receiving me. They are receiving me. And heaven delights over these ones than over you. And so when he's telling the story of the prodigal son, you have to look out for who the Pharisee is in the story. And the Pharisee was the older brother. So not only do you see the remarkable, boundless, unmerited favor of God towards the prodigal son. You saw the rejection of the older son. So grace 
does not only accept and embrace the unqualified. It pushes away the ones who think they qualify. Hallelujah. You've heard people say that heaven helps those who help themselves. That's the biggest lie in the world. Hallelujah. Heaven is for the helpless. Hallelujah. The Bible says, when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were without strength, say when I was without strength, Jesus died for me. That's the gospel. Not that heaven is helping you because you helped yourself, but because you were helpless. And so you qualify for the help of God. Say loud, amen. amen. Why do you think Jesus was telling that story in Luke 18? And does it stand out to you that Jesus told that story? When you know that the person who is telling that story is the person who is going to be at the judgment seat. How does that affect you? When the person who is going to mark your script comes to give you area of concentration, that should stand out to you. He's telling you the people who are justified and the people who are condemned. And you're expecting, oh, it will be all those terrible, terrible sinners. Hallelujah. But Jesus' major issues were not with the people you were called sinners. But we're actually with the people who were self-righteous. Praise the name of the Lord. Say glory be to God. Look at Matthew chapter 21 verse 31. Time is fast, fast spent so I'm going to round off now. In Matthew 21 verse 31. The second part of it is just so that you get it. Jesus said, Assuredly I say unto you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Did you see that? Read it together, one to go. Why? He says, because John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe. So it's about faith. You're the good guys. You still wouldn't enter the kingdom of heaven because you don't believe. John came to you, declaring unto you the way of righteousness, but you did not believe. But the tax collectors and harlots believed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then finally, oh, glory to God. Grace highlights the magnitude of the favor of God. Grace highlights the magnitude of the favor of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Read together as loud as you can. One, two, go. Read it again. Loud as you can. One, two, go. Hallelujah. I want you to raise one of your hands and say, thanks be to God. Say, Father, I thank you 
for your indescribable gifts. Father, I thank you for your unspeakable gifts. Hallelujah. Say, when I think about your kindness, your kindness towards me, I'm short of, your, of words. I run out of words. Words of gratitude. Words of appreciation. Your gift is unspeakable. Your gift is indescribable. Hallelujah. Do you know what it means? That you have the Holy Ghost. Do you know what it means? That he has chosen to dwell in you forever. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. Hallelujah. The Bible says in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. Hallelujah. The Bible says we are built together as an habitation of God by the spirits. So we are the house of God. The house of God. Do you know what that means? That the invisible God has become visible in us. That the invisible God has manifested himself in our lives. Hallelujah. Do you know what that means? What did you do to qualify for that? What did you do? What rituals did you do? Nothing. What did you pay? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. That we can say, now are we the sons of God. Do you know what it means? In Jesus' earthly ministry, when he called himself the son of God, they picked up stones to kill him. But not only was he the son of God. He said, in my father's family, there are many dwelling places. There are opportunities for more sons. Hallelujah. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, you will be also. Hallelujah. He has brought many sons to glory. Hallelujah. We are the sons of God. He is the first fruits. The final Adam. And those who believe after him are just like him. Hallelujah. And though it does not yet appear what we shall be. Hallelujah. Hey, 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 hey. But indeed now are we the sons of God. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gifts. If you think you heard salvation and you were not short of words afterwards, you did not hear it well. If it, if, if it, don't, if, if it not make you say, you know, why? Like, if it not make you sing, majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am empty-handed. But alive in your hands. Hallelujah. Don't you get the analogy? God knows how to make much out of nothing. That's what he did with us. In the beginning, there was void, darkness. And the Bible says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. He called out light out of darkness. And now the Bible says, God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's a bigger miracle than the, the, the miracle of the creation of the earth. A bigger miracle. That hearts of stone have been turned to flesh. Some of you know who you were before. What you've done. Hallelujah. How they used to hail you before. 
Now look at you. See what the Holy Ghost has made out of you. See how gentle you are. Now the fruit of your spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience. You are so kind. You are so loving. You are so long-suffering. You before. Hallelujah. Are you thankful? This is grace. It is grace and not works. Otherwise, grace will be no more grace. Romans chapter 11 verse 6. The moment work is involved, it ceases to be grace. So how do you respond to salvation? You say, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. There is no boasting in this kingdom. No boasting. We are the praise of his grace. The praise of his grace forever. For God so loved the world. So it's the love of God we are talking about. Not your efforts. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. Rise to your Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.